Today on Abounding Grace. Universalism is not true. And Jesus makes it clear here. There is a distinction of those that believe and those that don't believe. Because as we saw last time, some people mistakenly believe, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Not true. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. While we were still without strength, Romans chapter 5 or 6, Christ died for the ungodly. There's coming a day in the future when the dead will hear the voice of the Lord. But today is that day you might hear his voice and respond here. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome once again to Abounding Grace with our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. We make a return visit to John chapter 5 today and see what it takes to pass from death unto life. Jesus promised to the one who hears his word and believes in the one who sent him that they will have eternal life. That is a promise just as real here in the 21st century as it was when it was first uttered nearly 2,000 years ago. Here's Pastor Ed to begin our study. Jesus is taking this opportunity and as he is declaring for all who will listen that he himself is God. He's equating himself with the Father. He's saying that he is on equal terms in nature and work as the Father. You go, how can you pull that out of the text? I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 18 it says that he made himself equal with God. Now, this is important. I want to pause just for a brief moment and address the importance of you and I understanding that Jesus indeed is God. That's who he is. He is God in human flesh. The reason I bring that out to you is because there is a very increased activity of those that are involved in false religions or what we would refer to as cults, working our neighborhoods, coming to your door, sharing a false gospel with you. Some of them walk in two by two, they'll get out of their car, they'll come with their little handbag, and they'll come up, knock on your door, and they will be introducing to you a false Jesus from the Jehovah Witness cult, the Watchtower Society. Still others will ride into your neighborhood on bikes, and they'll be very well-dressed and very respectful. They too will knock on your door and introduce to you a false Jesus, the Mormons, And they're very active. They'll even come in, on occasion, they'll even come in here trying to convince people right here on the property of true Jesus worshipers. And the thing that they will say, inevitably, is that Jesus is not God. They'll do their best to convince you that the Bible doesn't teach that or that Jesus never claimed it. But on more than one occasion, Jesus declared, he didn't just claim it. He didn't just suggest it. Jesus declared himself to be God. And this is one of the locations. You go, well, he didn't. And what the cultists will say is, well, he didn't really mean that. Listen, the people that were looking Jesus in the eye, listening to him, feeling his breath and his presence right in front of him, they knew exactly what he was saying. And John records it. They wanted, you know why they put him on the cross? Not for Sabbath breaking, but because he claimed to be God. You see, Jesus didn't just declare it, he demonstrated it. He demonstrated over and over. That's a different Bible study altogether. But let me just say this. 
As I do mention groups from time to time, as I believe it's biblically necessary, the two most popular ones in our community. If you happen to be listening to us on the radio right now, or you're in the room or listening to this, uh, somebody gave you a CD or an MP3, it means that you are genuinely seeking God. If you're a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness, that's how you identify yourself. Maybe you were born into it. Maybe it's just your family and you're a part of it. And, and yet you, you take all the religious teachings and you knock on all the doors, but you realize when you go to bed at night, you're still empty. Religion isn't doing it for you. And so you are tuned on on a radio station. You're not telling anybody, but I know you are. You know you are. Or you do have a friend that gave you a CD and you told him, I'm not going to listen to it, but you're really hungry inside, so you do listen to it. Because I mention a group, the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses, I don't condemn you for being a part of the group. I pray for you. I realize that in the room right now, some of you are scratching your head and you're saying, you know, why are you telling us this? Because I'm really not telling you this. You're just coming alongside on a little excursion for a moment. Because the ministry here reaches far more than just those here in the room. And while maybe even in the room God is doing this or you're downstairs, you're just kind of sneaking in. If you are caught up in Mormonism or Jehovah Witness and you're really eager to learn about the truth, I want to invite you to email me personally. Inevitably, when I teach on these subjects and I mention a group or a teacher, my email box is full. I'm grateful. Email me. My personal email address is pastored at calvaryaurora.org. Email me wherever you are, in Texas, in Maine, wherever the radio, wherever our broadcast goes. Email me. I invite you to do that. And if I can't answer all of them personally, I'll set them aside to those that are serving alongside of us. And together, collectively, we will. I want you to email me personally. I won't even give you Ian's email address. So you can email me directly. But I genuinely, sincerely want to minister to you. And I don't want to talk about all the doctrine. I don't want to talk. Well, I just want to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm not calling you to my side. I'm not saying, we, oh, just come and be one of us. I don't want you to be one of us. I want you to be a true Jesus follower. I want to introduce you to the true Jesus of the scriptures. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to belittle you, nor will I. But I truly do want to talk to you. And you're invited. Email me directly. I will not be offended. If, if what I've said right now stirs up in you, go, well, you're wrong. Email me. I'd love to talk to you. i love to dialogue with you because Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He is not the blood brother of Lucifer. He's not a created angel that was once Michael the archangel. Jesus is God. And he loves you. He gave his life for you. He died and took the penalty of your sin. And as I mentioned groups, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning anyone. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save but I'm also not going, to un- I'm not going to back down nor back away from biblical truth. I will declare the truth unashamedly and with great confidence. I just don't want to be misunderstood that unashamedly with great confidence means that I think I'm superior to anyone. I don't think I'm superior to anyone. I was just as lost as the next guy, sold out into my sin and drunkenness and drugs and all the junk I was into, in and out of jail. I'm no better than anyone else. But I can tell you this, the love of Jesus Christ changed my life. And can change your life too. That's what Jesus is saying here. He, they knew it. He knows it. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you that the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him even greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
powerful as Jesus takes their rage and intensity and turns it around to share the love that he has for them. And he declares two things that are going to encourage them and teach them. The resurrection from the dead, his own resurrection, and judgment. And he says, I have authority in resurrection and I have authority in judgment. Again, things that would speak to them, they would fully understand. It's interesting when you study the topic of of the resurrection, specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all three persons in the Trinity are involved in the resurrection of Jesus. You can jot it down if you like to take notes. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, it says that God the Father rose Jesus from the dead. In John chapter 2, verse 19, it speaks of Jesus the Son raising himself from the dead. And then finally, in Romans chapter 8, it speaks of God the Holy Spirit raising Jesus up from the dead. There's perfect unity and symmetry in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is asserting that before us now. He says, I also can judge. And so that you might marvel, you're going to see greater works through my life. Just like the Father raised the dead, I raised the dead. The Father judges no one, but committed all judgment to me. There's a beautiful unity in the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, can we just pause for a second and consider a few things that I'd encourage you to pray about in your own life when we think of the unity of the Trinity, when we think of the unity of the Father and the Son and all. I mean, Jesus is very powerfully saying, of myself I do nothing. And it's true for you and I. He'll repeat it again by the time we leave. Number one, pray for unity that God's will in your life. Pray for unity with God's will in your life. Pray for unity. Pray, because I think we already pray for God's will. That's a great prayer. Don't stop praying that. God, what is your will for my life? What is your will in this situation? Pray for God's will in your life. But add to that a unity with God's will. Because God will reveal his will to you and you may not like it. He might reveal something for you and you don't want to cooperate. So pray that God, you, you would have a unity with God. You don't want to rebel. I don't want to rebel against God's will for my life. I want to cooperate with it. I want to be in just as cooperation as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, pray for a life that marvels at God and his majesty. That's what Jesus said. You're going to have greater works than these that you may marvel. Greater works. Pray that you would stand in majesty. A sister emailed me this week, and I've talked to her here today, that God was showing her things in the clouds. She was seeing pictures that represent a man or a lion, and God was just using that to cause her to marvel. So she sent them to me, and I'm not really good at seeing them. I saw one in one picture, and I said, no, you know, you're going to have to show me and point it out to me. And she did that, and I'm like, wow, I see it now. And it's just one of those things that God's using in her life to remind her that he is much bigger than her and just speak to her heart. I don't know what it is that causes you to marvel, But if you haven't marveled at the majesty of God lately, go back. Go back. Marvel at the goodness of God. Pray for it. And then finally, pray for a merciful heart. I don't know if you see that or not, but pray for a merciful heart. Compassionate. We've been following along Jesus, haven't we? And when the nobleman came with a sick and dying son, breaths away from his last breath, what did Jesus do? He healed him. Didn't even go there. Healed him. Then when he meets the man at the pool of Bethesda, he walks through all the desperation of people around the pool there, and he goes to the man, and the man is sick. 38 years he's been infirm, laying on his mat. He asks him if he has a dialogue with him, asks him if he wants to get healed. What does he do? He helps the man. Now, what does he do when he has these religious rulers coming to him face to face, wanting to kill him? He's merciful toward them. 
You know what he does? He teaches them. You know what he could have done? He could have done as he's walking and kind of giving you that face and he's like, I can't believe you guys are doing this. I can't believe you're telling me this. And the disciples are with him and they go, guys, do you guys want to see something really cool? And they're like, yeah, we want to see something really cool. And, he, and as everybody's ready there and these guys are coming against him, he's going, you know, I'm the son of God. You can't say that to the son of God. Bam. Take that. <laughs> Bunch of murderers. I'm the son of God. You don't mess with God. I mean, I don't know if he'd do it like that, but he could have. He had the authority. He had the authority to do whatever he wanted to do according to the Father's will. But what's the Father's will? He's patient, merciful, and compassionate, and he's giving them a Bible study. Not just that. He also gives them the gospel in verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. He, these guys want to kill him. It's even more intensified. Their hearts are dark. He knows that. And what does he do? He doesn't wipe them out. He shares the gospel with them with hope. So, you know, many people receive the gospel. Many religious rulers receive the gospel through Jesus' ministry. Pray for that in your life, would you? Instead of bitterness, instead of revenge, instead of anger, instead of asserting your rights, and on and on the list can go, pray for a merciful heart. I don't think there can be enough love, mercy, and grace flowing through our church, flowing through our lives. I would even say this. Test God on this. Test God on this very verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Test him. That's what the Bible says. Be merciful and watch God keep his word. Jesus continues to respond and teach these religious rulers, loving them and caring for them. What he's saying right now would blow their minds I like what John Corson writes in his commentary. He says, This would be a mind-blower to the Jews who taught that God alone is the keeper of three keys. The key to the heavens, which he uses when rain falls, Deuteronomy chapter 28. The key to the womb, which he uses when a couple conceives, Genesis chapter 30, verse 2. And the key to the grave, which he used when the dry bones came to life in Ezekiel 37. But here comes Jesus saying, I have the same key. Just as the Father opens the grave and gives life, so do I. Just as the Father receives honor, so must I. He knows exactly what he's saying. Very intentional, Jesus is. You see, Jesus will also judge the world one day. Not only he rise from the dead, but he will judge the world. As believers, we will face Jesus at what is known as the Bema Seat, judgment of Christ. That's not judging us for our salvation. It's judging us for what we did with our salvation. If you were with us on Wednesday, we studied it in depth. First Corinthians chapter 3, you can get the study online. For those that don't die without Jesus, they're going to stand at what the Bible calls the great great white throne judgment. There they will face God and account for their lives and for their willful rejection of Jesus as their Savior and receive the due penalty for that rejection and eternity separated from God. That's what happens at the white throne judgment. Believers aren't there. Believers are hidden in Christ. They're at the Bema Seat judgment. As you study through the entirety of the scriptures, you see the faithfulness of God. His willingness to draw you to himself. One more thing before we move on to the rest of the text. In verse 23, did you see? Did you see that last phrase where it says, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him? You parents, you parents understand a little bit of this. You guys that have kids or maybe grandkids. And it looks like this. If someone is really nice to your kids, if somebody really blesses your kids, if someone really encourages your kids, doesn't it encourage you? 
Aren't you just so happy? Like, that was so cool. You did that for my son. Thank you. And you have almost an immediate connection with them. They took care of your son, your daughter. They took care of your grandson. They're just so good. And so you're like, wow, you honor my kid? That's like honoring me. Thank you. But then what if somebody disrespects your kid? Slaps them on the head, makes a face at them, you know, kicks them, spanks them. You don't spank my kid, you know. Now you're going to call the cops, but you're going to be upset. You don't spank my kid. I spank my kid. Don't tell me how to raise my kid. Don't, you know, you know how it goes. I don't know if you know how it goes, but maybe you do know how it goes. Somebody dishonors your kid, they're dishonoring you. They're, they're taking you on. See, my, my son or daughter, you know, like for me personally, you love my son who's in eternity now. You love me. You love my son here on the earth. You love me. You, you love my wife. You love my daughter. You love me. You, 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 that, I exp- that, that expression of love to one of my kids is like expressing love to me and my wife. Uh, if you have the privilege and ability to express love to my grandson, that's like expressing love to me. It's not. It's, it's something that we, we share in common, but that's what Jesus is saying. You, you need to honor me just like you honor the Father, the same honor. And the reason why we want to draw this out is the, the importance of the Jehovah Witnesses will place a great emphasis on honoring Jehovah and no one and nothing else. Only Jehovah, and that will be continually what they say. The Bible here says that if you don't honor the Son like you honor Jehovah, you are not giving proper worship to the Son. You are not honoring the Son as the Son of God, God in human flesh. I just lay that out for you so you understand. If they do come knock at your door, there is a reality to the scriptures of the deity of Jesus Christ. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Let's pick up in verse 25 as we head out. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. He's simply using the resurrection again as another picture of judgment. Some will be in the presence of God in relationship, and some will be banished from the presence of God because they rejected Jesus. It's going to happen at the resurrection. Then he says in summary again in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, a careful reading of this, just by way of review, you'll notice that Jesus speaks of at least four different resurrections. In verses 24 and 25, he speaks of lost sinners being resurrected into eternal life. In verse 26, he speaks of his own resurrection. In verses 28 and 29, he speaks of a future resurrection of life. And then in verse 29, he speaks of a future resurrection of condemnation. And what Jesus does is he puts to rest the thought and the false teaching again of then and now that everyone makes it into heaven after all. There's a word for that. It's called universalism, and it's not from God. God does not teach that everyone makes it in. Jesus died so that through Jesus, no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other name on heaven by which a man gets saved, a person gets saved, but the name of Jesus Christ. Universalism is not true. And Jesus makes it clear here. There is a distinction of those that believe and those that don't believe Because as we saw last time, some people mistakenly believe, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Not true. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. While we were still without strength, Romans chapter 5 or 6, Christ died for the ungodly. 
There's coming a day in the future when the dead will hear the voice of the Lord. But today is that day you might hear his voice and respond here. Jesus is in perfect harmony with the Father. People are always constantly demanding to ask Jesus and demanding from him, what authority have you come in? And Jesus makes it clear. I've come in my Father's authority. I've come in my own authority because it's the same authority. I'm God. And I'm going to demonstrate it through the resurrection. And I'm going to demonstrate it through judgment. He says, I don't do anything. See in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. Now Jesus admitted that in his humanity. You and I need to as well. The Bible says as much. That apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said the same thing. He is in perfect unity with the Father. Jesus had no program, no agenda, no vision other than what his Father's will would accomplish on the earth. What a powerfully freeing way to live your life. A man, as a man, he learned to seek the Father, he learned to hear from the Father, and he perfectly obeyed the Father. And as one commentator put it, I challenge us to live each day saying, my only desire is simply to do the will of the Father. Not to make it easier on myself or better for my family. Not to find more fulfillment in what I do personally or to establish myself financially. I just want to do the Father's will by the power of the Spirit within me. And to that I say amen. Would you agree? Amen. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Pastor Ed, one great truth you emphasize today is, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that not only applies to getting into the family of God, but really all aspects of living the Christian life, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Larry, you know, the the reality of our relationship with Jesus, us being born again, is that we now have the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge that's available to us by direct relationship with God. And it's true, we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. He is our strength. And one of the hallmark verses, one of the hallmark principles that's been handed down to us uh, in our Calvary Chapel family, but it's biblical. So all, you know, we're not, it's not exclusive to us, but it's been handed down through our discipleship, is found in Zechariah chapter four, verse six where Zechariah is writing uh, as the prophet, and there's Zerubbabel, he's faced with an insurmountable issue, and the word of the Lord to him is, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's truly the, the essence of the benefits of knowing Jesus here and now. Of course, we have future benefit. We're going to be in eternity together. Our sins are forgiven. But in a practical level, we have the very spirit of God dwelling in us, upon us, filling us, empowering us, and it does apply to all aspects of Christian life. So if you're discouraged today, the Lord is your encourager. If you're fearful, the Lord is your courage. If you're filled with anxiety, God is your calmness. If you're grieving, he's your comfort. If there's a great uh, trial or difficulty up ahead, he's your strength. It's not your power and it's not your strength, but it's by his spirit says the Lord. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. And friend, if you'd like to hear this message again, stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. And we have a couple of podcasts as well. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, By the way, that's Lead 
The number two, serve. In it, Pastor Ed discusses the value of servant leadership. Today, we want to tell you about Pastor Ed's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe that someone is you. With a war going on, rising inflation, gas prices through the roof, and a virus that doesn't seem to go away, many are anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. And this book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, and give it to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it at calvaryco.store on the web. And please remember that your gifts help to make this program possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online, aboundinggraceradio.com, or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's going to do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will again open the Gospel of John in search of abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.